fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, it is awesome to be here. If I must admit, for the first time, I'm a tad nervous. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like you've put me in a contest between um, an engineer and an analytical mastermind in a design contest. Um, mm -hmm. That's not what physicists are most known for. But I'm, I'm up to the challenge, Dan. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm excited. Uh, you don't sound like you're ready. I've already psychologically gotten, I'm renting space in your head, Dennett. Uh, and as soon as you lose the psychological battle, you're toast. You're mine. Uh, I've got you. Uh, and there's one other person who never loses the psychological battle because he's barely human. And that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, how is your design going up there in the brain trust? Up in the brain station, you know, brain trust station. <laughs> there's a marketing, I know there's there's advertising we can do here, I just realized. Dan, this week, I've been thinking, you know, just orbiting around in a spacecraft isn't cool enough. Where are the missiles and the lasers and all the other good stuff? I think it's time we modded this ship and have ourselves some real battles. Now, that's what I'm talking about, Ben. Now you're getting it. Uh, now, so for those of you listening who wonder why the brain trust has suddenly turned on themselves, <laughs> it's because I have forced them to watch the TV show Twisted Metal, which is uh, a show that's based on one of my favorite video games growing up called Twisted Metal Black, which is uh, basically a death demolition derby, the ultimate demolition derby where you race around in cars, outfitted with machine guns, missiles, and you try to destroy each other. You know, a lot of fun. I think it really, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic world. I think everyone can see how my developing mind kind of <laughs> took it in like a sponge and uh, turned me into the person that I am today. You know, uh, and hopefully I didn't I didn't ruin you guys with this show, did I? No, not 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 at all, Dan. Uh, this okay. was this was an interesting choice. We've we had the conversation because usually mm -hmm. your shows addict me. This show just was like, yeah, it was kind of interesting ish. <laughs> but, <laughs> interesting adjacent. You know, yeah. But I have to admit, uh -huh. I, I never played the video game, but I did watch a lot of YouTube about the video game. And I can mm -hmm. see why that would be cool. Like that would be a fun video game. It was. It was fun. What about you, Ben? As someone, this has got to be, I, I think this might actually be right up your alley. I, I remember this game viscerally as a kid, but I never had it myself because, I don't know, maybe it was too violent. I don't know. <laughs> but I remember some of my friends had it mm -hmm. uh, and it was it was fun. You know, it's a good game. And I like the, you know, there's a lot of engineering decisions mm -hmm. to be made mm -hmm. while you play the game. Yeah. When you're looking through that car selector and you're, seeing the maneuverability and the mm -hmm. weapon power and all this stuff yep you know that gets my my brain ticking about how do i optimize this for the best results mm -hmm. uh, and and that's really the fun part you know uh and so we're gonna get to the demolition derby in a second but i want to talk about the tv show because you know i'm well aware that we do a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff on the show. And if you don't like that, it's very unfortunate because I always enjoy talking about it. So I apologize <laughs> to everyone listening. However, we're going to take a couple minutes to talk about some of the cool post-apocalyptic stuff that's in this show because I find the inventive ways that writers and creators kind of use to say, what would happen 
in a post-apocalyptic world? How would we rebuild society? You know, for example, what would our currency look like? And in this show, what we see is uh, our main guy, John Doe, goes into what passes for a cartographer, which we'll talk about in a second, but he (laughs) trades crayons for a map that he needs. And, you know, this may seem silly on its surface, but I like it because, you know, we've talked about in the show and on my show, Fascinating Nouns, I talked about, you know, the the post-apocalyptic zombie world, economics (laughs) of the undead is what I called it. And, you know, what crayons are great because they do have a practical use. They can be broken up into smaller pieces for something that doesn't cost as much as a full crayon. They're easily transportable. They kind of have all the hallmarks of what would make a good currency. So I actually really like this. What did you guys think? You know, Dan, I like most of it. My big thing with currency, I, I want something that you can't forge, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and obviously you need some backing behind it. In this case, you know, Crayola has probably gone under two. But the federal government's probably gone under worse. So um, mm-hmm. you just have a good <laughs> amount of currency out there, and and you know what Crayola is, and it you know Crayola engenders trust. Um, a you mark also, of quality when in your it's crayon. a mark of quality, right? And mm-hmm. you've got a couple features. You've got the wax, you've got the color, you've got the shape, you've got the clearly the Crayola paper is special non-forgeable paper. So mm-hmm. that aspect I like. I will say something about it though that is a little dangerous is right now coins are safe. Your kids might rip paper bills, so you want to keep them away. Um, Crayola as currency could easily disappear in a coloring book in ways that would really frustrate you as a parent. <laughs> a very expensive coloring book. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you this, as someone who, you know, I didn't grow up with the luxuries. I didn't always have that Crayola 64 pack with the built-in sharpener in the back with silver, gold, and all the cool colors. I didn't always get that. I sometimes got the knockoff crayons, and I will tell you. <laughs> From a counterfeit standpoint, Denon, you know the difference between <laughs> knockoff crayons and Crayola. I, yes. I can tell you that from firsthand experience. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been in the diner where we see the cartographer yes. and gotten the crummy crayons <laughs> that they give you with the children's menu mm-hmm. and been very disappointed that it wasn't just the bowl of half-used Crayolas <laughs> that the better diners have. <laughs> yeah, I'll, look, I'll take a bowl of half-used, you know, Crayolas over those other ones. I mean, because with, with crappy crayons, they seem to be mostly wax. I mean, they're, you know, mm-hmm. half a click away from a candle, you know. Uh, and Crayola <laughs> yeah. just had that smooth roll, man, that I can still feel to this day. Just the color comes off evenly, smoothly, uh, beautifully. And, and I, I think it's really the hallmark there. Well, and that goes back to, to the money and, and the forgery. Like the reason Crayolas are better is because they their pigment to wax ratio is a lot higher. I think they also use some fancier waxes than probably the cheap places do. Yes. Um, but and, and this is what's so interesting about it is because to me, the economy we have in this twisted metal universe is, tr- is a true barter system. OK, the, the crayons only probably have value to John because he knows he can use them for the map maker needs them to make his maps. Um, but if we look at what does John want? Well, he, he probably wants crayons in case he needs to get maps made. Right. But he also wants bullets and guns right. and food mm-hmm. and gasoline. And so there's, there's all these other things that are of value to each individual. And that's what's so interesting about where currencies come from is because a currency is a way to mark something mark a specific value and create a means of exchange, but that currency has to be 
non-replicatable. That's why coins have value is because you know this coin is worth 10 crayons, Mm -hmm. but also a gallon of gas. Yeah, well, it's interesting because really currencies hold value, but they also have to have a little bit of value too. You know, I mean, we live in a society where our money literally is worth nothing. Like a $20 bill, is no, there's no practical use except to start a fire as kindling. It doesn't have any practical <laughs> yeah. use, but we all believe it. Uh, but in a post-apocalyptic world where there's no belief, no trust, your currency is completely different. And and that trust extends into all sorts of worlds, you know. Let's, let's keep it in the diner, the map maker, you know. What I love about this is the maps that John is getting from the, the map maker are – you know, IHOP, uh, you know, not to name drop here and buzz market, but like, you know, a diner has those little maps that have the United States. Oh, and here's this city and there's this city. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're drawn for a kid to color in. They're not drawn for yeah. accuracy. And what I find interesting here is these maps are used as an accurate representation because it's all that they have. I don't know what happened to real maps, but this is what you have. And what's so interesting about this to me is that nowadays, people, and I think I might count you two in this. I definitely don't count myself as an analog man, but people can't get anywhere without typing something into a GPS system. Without that Mm -hmm. technology, you know, I think we'd have two or three generations of people in this type of situation who couldn't get from their, you know, living room to their bathroom without, (laughs) you know, GPS, much less a map, an inaccurate map. Well, Dan, two things on that. First of all, you just answered your own question. Probably. The reason there are no maps is there are no maps. Right. Like, when have you last seen a map? Everybody my, uses My trunk. My trunk. Okay. Right. So a few of us, I, I have to admit, the last time I moved, my um, Thomas guide was so old, it finally How wasn't worth was keeping. It? Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I want to say something else. And I still, I am, I am not... I'm useless without my Google Maps. I can still find my way around pretty much anywhere. But okay. no, no, you, I am. If you I'm, say I'm the, so, Denon. No, I. But my kids right. admit to being useless. But even better, okay. I can. I can tell you, my dad would survive this apocalypse because he shocked mm. my daughter visiting her in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh-huh. The map my dad used was the tourist map, and we all know they're not quite as bad as a diner map. But they do not have all the roads. I love this. <laughs> and yes. the roads are not to scale. And, and he found everywhere in, in the city that he needed to go. He showed up at her door actually. She's like, Grandpa, how did you get here? He goes, I had my map. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I love this guy. And that is a true story. Like, that is the map he used, Dad. So That's proof a true positive hero. that you can navigate with a diner map if you have the skill set needed. Unbelievable. Yeah. What, what I'm really curious about is how much of the interstate system is still in place okay. in this post-apocalyptic world. Because a crayon map would get you from California to Chicago um, if you just labeled the interstates. <laughs> okay. Like, you'd be able to figure it out. It's not that hard. You take, you know, 10 to, to the 45 or what, I don't know the, the exact ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really, I think, only probably need to take two or three highways to get from California to Chicago. I won't, I won't and, hold you to those directions, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you could do it. But yeah. at the same time, we see John driving on dirt roads through forests all the time. Mm-hmm. And so clearly that's not what's happening. So I have no idea how he's navigating with a crayon map. <laughs> well, well, Ben, first of all, those dirt roads are the interstates. It's just the current state of the interstates and the yes. trees have grown up. So you just yeah. assume they weren't interstates because of their status. Fair enough. Yeah, that's well, true. W- 
We, I mean, we see one place where he clearly is on the highway near Vegas. Right. But I don't know about those other wooded encounters. Those don't seem like they were interstates 30 years ago to me. But, you know, maybe they were. <laughs> it's possible. I'll tell you this. You really only need to take one road, the mother road, uh, Route 66, <laughs> which goes from Santa Monica all the way to downtown Chicago. So you really only need one. It's not as well labeled, and it would take you <laughs> yeah. forever. Uh, but it, it is a, you know, it is a road and I did, you know, it's a perfect place for a plug. I get it first, uh, first, yeah. uh, I did a fascinating <laughs> now episode on route 66, which is, you know, even in a post apocalyptic world, uh, I think you would love the sightseeing there as well. Uh, but this is, you know, the interstate, this is a, this is a great segue into, uh, this weird phenomenon that I always see in these post apocalyptic movies, which is everyone seems to be on the road. Everyone's driving around. You got, you know, in the Mad Max world, it's basically the pirates of land. You know, you've got them running around on the on the interstates like pirates in the open sea. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me because modern engines, modern internal combustion engines, non-hybrid, get roughly 300 miles to a tank. That's not great. You know, there's a lot of road, there's a lot of, you know, especially for someone who's a courier, like we see in this, in this, uh, this TV show. So this is, this always struck me as very odd. And it feels like the 1950s and 60s version of the future, where much like the Jetsons did not foresee the advent of computers, the people in the 60s saw a post-apocalyptic future, given that at the time in the 50s and 60s, gas was 15 cents, you know, a gallon. Uh, it's certainly not that now. It's certainly not as readily available. So this felt very weird to me. I don't know what you guys thought about it. Well, I, I'm with you, Dan. I, I just think, you know, it, it's a challenge because one of the first things that's going to break down is your gas distribution system. Mm -hmm. Um and I do like the fact, therefore, that he's collecting gas tanks, like containers of gas. At least as a minimum, they're showing him getting his gas. And early on in the first episode, he does admit he doesn't go very far because he is worried about the gas situation. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a nod to it in this TV show, but it is, it is a fundamental problem. And I think you mentioned Mad Max. That one I always wondered about, but you know, it did I think take place in Australia, which is maybe different. So yeah. you know, and, who knows? And, and there like, was one at sports cars too, which is strange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such a problem because gas does not last. It is not a it's not something you can leave in your uh, you know, bunker for two years <laughs> and come back and it still works. Like gas lasts three to six months at best in a proper you know, EPA approved storage containers, <laughs> which is all you should ever store gas in. Don't put gas in other things. Uh -huh. uh, except your gas tank. I think it's fair we could agree. Except your gas yeah, tank, yeah. of course, mm -hmm. which is also an EPA approved gas container. It is. That's, yes. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I, ideally. Yeah. So so I, I like I like this mention of the gas distribution system because this is a very complex system that we have. You know, you think about the, the underground reservoirs that hold the gas at the gas stations. You think about the trucks that bring around the gas. And you think about the refineries that are making the gas. This is an enormous system, a complex system, and not to mention the oil being drilled to make the gas, too. Mm -hmm. So you have all these things that have to still be working for gas to be used long into this apocalypse. And I have a hard time thinking that's what's actually going on here. You might be right. You know, there's this interesting 
book that I read. Uh, it's called Alcohol Can Be a Gas. I was working on another project uh, with some people who are trying to be self-sufficient. And this idea of being able to create basically moonshine, ethanol, uh, and put mm-hmm. it into your gas tank. You know, it's 10% of our gas is ethanol now. And according to this book, you could... You know, it's very easy to create alcohol. I imagine in a post-apocalyptic world <laughs> where there aren't a lot of liquor stores, people are doing this. There's stills all over the place, I'm guessing, because you can kind of turn anything into alcohol. And according to this book, you can run up to 85% alcohol in your car and have it run perfectly well. Now, I don't know if that's true. I'm not suggesting this to people, but this is an interesting idea to be able to use alcohol, which is much easier to make, which is, you know, a renewable resource, using that as a fuel. I wonder if we could get there and that maybe in the post-apocalyptic world, alcohol would become, you know, alcohol engines would get, you know, kind of have a resurgence because those were actually the first, you know, engines that we had for automobiles. You know, Dan, I, I think you're really right there. I have to admit, I'm still thinking and loving this phrase, um, gas doesn't always work, um, mm-hmm. that, that Ben mentioned, because it's a kind of interesting way to describe something that you expect to just blow up. But right. <laughs> well, yeah, when you're expecting oh, it to just blow doesn't up, work it, anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, but I do like I do like the alcohol solution because it solves the fuel problem. You know, as a physicist, I can very easily tell you um, how close you come to the theoretical heat engine Carnot cycle efficiency by switching to that. Um, I really would probably die because you'd also have to re-engineer your engine, I believe, um, and that is where I I get stuck. I would sit there looking at my engine, thinking thoughtfully, going. This should be a different engine. But uh-huh. I would have my alcohol, and so I would just drink it. But I think you could sure. put it in the car if you were perhaps a better engineer than me. Yeah, kind of like the Homer Simpson. You know, yeah. one for you, glug, 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 one for you, glug, glug, glug into the car. I mean, yeah. you could do that. You could have just a little nip yeah. every now and again. You know, you mentioned this 85% ethanol. That's the flex fuel mm-hmm. brand mm-hmm. that we see in America. And and that's a pretty common blend, and it it works, obviously. It's not as it's unfortunately not as energy dense as gasoline, right. but that's not necessarily a problem in this future. If you, well, it is a problem, but you're not going to be able to do anything about it. <laughs> um, but you still need right. that fifteen percent gas for those engines. Mm-hmm. So you need a true hundred percent gasoline engine, which we have. You know, some race cars, or actually a lot of race cars, use that blend. Use the, it's not a blend anymore. Right. It's just it's just it's just uh. Well, it's, it's methanol and ethanol, yeah. but the important thing is that you can do that. You can make engines that do that. Now, with race cars, these engines are super tweaked and only go for like, you know, 300 miles and then they blow up because that's all you need for a race car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you could certainly engineer something that could last on that gas, that pure alcohol blend. Uh, and you'd have to. That's what would have to happen at the beginning of this apocalypse, um, because if you live under the assumption that the gasoline is going to go away soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to do this now before it's too late, um, while the parts are still easily available, while the tools are still easily available. Well, one quick thing, just a quick note here. Ethanol is about 30% less energy dense than gasoline, which is a pretty significant chunk. I mean, you can still get around yeah. in your car, but you need more of it. It's going to burn faster or, you know, it's not going to be as efficient. But that's a pretty big chunk, one third. 
Yeah, no, it is a big yeah. chunk. And I like Ben saying you got to prepare now for the apocalypse that's going to mm -hmm. happen soon, mm -hmm. right? And and I am, you know, as much as I am an apocalypse denier, mm -hmm. um, it's true. I do believe if it happens, it's not going to happen tomorrow. And we've okay. already seen huge advances in solar. And I really think I am a big fan that I'm going to survive the apocalypse with my solar power when okay. it comes. Mm. And you're already seeing electric cars. Many people have electric cars, hook it up to their solar to charge it at night. Mm -hmm. um, the range in the electric car is getting better. Um, yes, batteries are hard to make, but batteries last a decent amount of time. Um, and I really think if you plan for solar cars, you can rule the, the road in the future. There is the other option. We do know, Dan, as our plug, people mm -hmm. should go watch our Flintstones episode in which mm -hmm. we conclude it is in the future and post-apocalyptic. So you can use the old-fashioned feet-powered right. and drive your cars <laughs> by running around, yes. or otherwise known as a bicycle or a skateboard. Yep. But <laughs> but I do think I do think solar is, is a way to go here in the future that, to your point, the 50s and 60s would not have thought of. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, you, so those electric scooters we see running around, you're seeing the whole oh, yeah. world, you know, the, instead of being one or two guys in a in a cool, you know, muscle car from the 70s, it's a bunch of teenagers uh, in a scooter swarm. And yeah. I will tell you, Dan, that is my current apocalypse. It's the one thing that's made me think the apocalypse may actually have already occurred and I missed it is yeah. walking around campus and trying to avoid scooters and not get killed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so important that, you know, electric vehicles are really great. And some of the first vehicles in the world were electric. Mm -hmm. But and in, but instead of using our now fancy lithium ion technology that we have now, they were using good old fashioned lead acid batteries, which are much easier to manufacture. So it's totally reasonable that much like the gasoline users would have to retrofit their cars for ethanol. The electric users would retrofit from lithium ion to lead acid um, once their lithium ion batteries uh, no longer hold a charge. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think retrofitting is a great theme for this episode. Because the next thing we need to talk about is what I would say is the ultimate retrofitting. Uh, we're going to get into the video game portion here, the ultimate demolition derby, which is really what Twisted Metal is about. And this is the definition of retrofitting. It's taking your car and adding all sorts of weapons on it with the goal of being the sole survivor and basically uh, a 1v1v1v1 up to eight, you know, eight competitors <laughs> all fighting each other, trying to be the last man standing. Uh, this, I think, you know, is kind of, it's akin to like our demolition derbies now, um, except a little more destructive, let's say. <laughs> Well, you know, I think the guns and explosives um, lend to that greater destruction, Dan. Yes. So I, I accept your description. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's right. Because I think we've all been to demolition derbies. As a matter of fact, Ben, I think you built a demolition derby car. Yeah, you know, the, the sad thing, the sad <laughs> thing is I've I've helped build a demolition derby car, but I've never actually been to the demolition derby. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you didn't see it in action? <laughs> I, I was on big. I uh, went to visit my sister the week. So, well, let, let's first. Yeah. So the, the in, one who pulled your college, pants down in karate. Yeah, it was all her fault yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So while I was um, interning during a college, I was at this um, software company. Nerd. Um, and being the cool people we were, we decided to enter a demolition derby. And so the the owner bought this old BMW 
um for in south chicago very sketchy purchase yes i could <laughs> um, being from there i can say that it's, yeah it's interesting yeah interesting he said he was scared when he went to buy the car mm-hmm. um and then we took it to an employee's uh house and in his garage we painted it uh redid all the fluids took out all the gas mm-hmm. or all the gas all the glass um because that's what you do for a demo derby car you take out the glass so you don't get cut mm-hmm. and you paint it so you have a cool look and 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 that's and that's how how you demo derby did did, um, did the owner but, ever come back and look for the car did you ever have to worry about the uh <laughs> I'm, I'm implying the car was stolen I, I, in case anyone couldn't uh, catch that no, well i don't know uh, it Unfortunately, we ended up scrapping the first car because it got test driven without oil. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> we had to that's do it a, all over that's again. That's a problem. With the second car. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. A, I mean, that's an instantaneous, instantaneous demolition derby. You've demolished your that, car. Yeah. That, that, that engine got seized and ruined very quickly. Um, but then when it was time to actually go to the derby, um, I was visiting my sister that weekend. Mm. And so I, did, I didn't go to the actual derby. I, I want to know, Ben, who got to drive the car? Yeah. Not Ben. God, who did drive the car? Maybe the owner okay, drove the car. I'm not. I'm not sure. Actually, <laughs> it feels a tad dangerous. But you know, it's fun though. You know, it's not that. It's not that dangerous. I mean, I, if I, if I remember right, we put in a full harness. Okay. Um, so that you're well protected. And and the beauty of the demo derby is it's done in this muddy pit Mm -hmm. so you don't actually get going all that fast it's really just about smashing into each other's engines until something leaks enough so that the car doesn't move anymore (laughs) (laughs) it's like uh bumper cars really you know i've been to several of of several demolition derbies and they're fun i mean you know monster trucks are kind of in this vein too uh big muddy pits running around smashing other cars this you know for our our foreign listeners i don't know if this is something that translates well this feels very american uh i think Uh, uh, if i had to guess if i had to guess well i will tell you 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 mentioned bumper cars dan and it is exciting to start training at an early age in America in bumper cars because okay. um, there really is – people I don't think appreciate the deep strategy to bumper cars. I know you don't get to adjust your car much, but you know, watching <laughs> ahead all. of time, paying attention – well, paying attention uh-huh. to which ones are likely going to have sure. you know, higher speeds, watching who gets stuck in the corners because sometimes the cars, their maneuverability is gone, mm-hmm. right? And you don't want to be in a bumper car that doesn't steer. Right. right. It's all about timing and angle and direction. Yeah. You get a caught against the wall and are unable to get off and you're just a sitting duck target for lots of people. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great training ground. And I, I just appreciate that. You know, we get to do that in this country. Yeah. God bless America. Yeah. I'll say, uh, I mean, you, well, you, in, the thing that you wanted, that observation is making sure you have agency over your own future. You don't want to be caught yes. in the corner just getting smashed into. Right. What uh, right. are the things that you really have to, to keep with with any kind of car race? You know, it's handling, it's speed, acceleration, you know, uh, acceleration and top speed are two very different things, you know, based on, oh, yeah. on boring conversations about gear ratios inside the transmission. Uh, but I want to tell a quick story. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a close friend uh, whose dad would race cars on weekends. So he built his own like Indy car, kind of, right? It's the long kind of Pinewood Derby looking cars that you see like an Indy 500. So he built one. And so they would go and he he had, his dad had a partner and they would, you know, take their truck, their, their 
car with them and they'd go and race. And what was always so funny to me is they would spend so much time because one of the keys is having just what you need in the car. You're trying to get up to speed really quickly. So you don't right. have a lot of stuff. I mean, you don't have a GPS system. You don't have a radio. <laughs> you don't have all the, the comforts inside. It's a roll cage. It's a steering wheel. It's gas pedal, brake pedal, basically, you know, and a seatbelt. Mm -hmm. And it was always funny because his dad was probably about 350 pounds. And so watching <laughs> them work so hard to remove all the weight just to put it right back in uh, was always like mm. such an interesting thought because you knew that it was never real. It's really just for fun. They were never really going to yeah. break any world records. But I say that not to make fun of my friend or his uh, rather large dad, who I love, a great human being, but it's to say that if your life is on the line here, guys, speed, acceleration, conservation of of space and weight are actually extraordinarily important if, like I said, your life is on the line. And, and Dan, what I love about this, because who knows where we're going to go and how well I'll do in the design competition, mm -hmm. but I can say this. Um, it, is, it is a sad fact of American education that not as many people who should understand the difference between speed and acceleration. Mm -hmm. um, mm. So there is a great physics lesson here, and there is nothing like your life being on the line to make you learn your physics better. <laughs> and so, so, so right. I really, I, I'm a big advocate of hands-on training, um, and I'm considering introducing this into our curriculum <laughs> of intro physics. Um, instead of these boring <laughs> ramp and sliding block problems, just, you know, you've got a week to design your car. Do you want speed? Do you want acceleration? Let's go. Yeah, I love that. Your life's on the line. You get so much weight for weapons. Uh, we got to get your car up. I love it. It's great. I mean, because you think about armor fits into that, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. Ben, you... Not not only are you a robot, but you make little robots. So you're kind of like a robot yeah. mother, if, if, I, if I could say. <laughs> sure. uh, and so we've talked a lot about battle bots. And, and I think yes. what's interesting when we talk about strategy here, which is what we're going to get into, you know, it's it is that speed versus acceleration versus armor versus handling, um, you know, the types of weapons you're going to put in there. It's a lot of battle bot strategy. And really, when we talk about it, I think there is kind of um, the classic Example, Rochambeau, paper, rock, scissors, right? Certain things yeah. will beat, certain things will be beaten by other things. And so you really have to weigh the pros and cons because I don't believe you can create the ultimate vehicle. Uh, and even though saying that, I do believe that I have created the ultimate vehicle. <laughs> but I think for most people, it's difficult to balance all that. Wouldn't you say, Ben? Oh, very difficult. You know, you think about our modern fighting vehicles that we have, not so much demo derby or the twisted metal but you think about like say a tank mm -hmm. versus an infantry carrier mm -hmm. versus a humvee and things like that right and, you know you have the maneuverability but the no armor versus the not so maneuverable and tons of armor uh, and it, it's it's so difficult to balance all those together and then if you throw in the apocalypse situation right. like a tank sounds great in the apocalypse <laughs> except now instead of burning you know instead of 20 miles a gallon you're getting like half a mile of a gallon where are you gonna get all the fuel for your tank you know it, it, it's it's a problem you know yeah. the logistics are a lot more tough so you have to balance all these things against each mm -hmm. other to build the vehicle you really need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you can't have horses pull the, the tank. You know, we can't go back to, to that era. Uh, it'd be very difficult. I mean, you could. <laughs> you yeah, know, maybe. The horses become an easy target, Dad. Right, um, <laughs> they do. They do. Well, so let's talk about weapons. Speaking of targets, uh, you know, Denon, you brought us right into it. Uh, let's talk about targets. So when I think of the weapons that you would want on a car, 
here's where my mind goes. I think of missiles. I think of guns, you know, um, but, you know, you've got rail guns, you've got Gatlin guns, shotguns, you know, any type of projectile. You've got flamethrowers, napalm. Um, but then also those are kind of distance weapons. But then you got some of your up close stuff. you got buzz saws. Um, you know, I came up with pneumatic pokers, you know, things that will just poke at mm-hmm. the car, mess up the wheels, things like that. Uh, so these are kind of the weapon systems that you need. So let's quickly run through what are the pros and cons of the projectiles first? Well, I think for me, the projectiles come down to, I assume, are you including bullets and projectiles, Dan, or are you just thinking missiles? No, missiles, you know, I'm thinking all of it. Missiles, Gatlin guns, projectiles, bullets, things like that. Yeah, yeah, the general projectiles. Yeah, yeah. They're really interesting because I feel like one thing that's shockingly accurate is bullets do a lot of damage, potentially the outer surface of cars, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily to the car itself, right? Like if you happen to hit the driver with Mm -hmm. a bullet, that's a big win. You've probably taken right. out the car too. Yeah. Right. For um, all intents and purposes, you've taken out the car. For all intents and purposes. Yeah. Right. But but other than that, I mean, cars are shockingly robust to bullets um, when you're all moving fast and stuff, unless you get lucky. And then the big projectiles, I feel like, are hard to aim. Right. And okay. So you have yeah. issues there. So I, I don't know. My gut does not necessarily favor projectiles in this situation so much. Interesting. Okay. I. I so I think you overestimate the durability of, of, of cars here. <laughs> okay. Dr. I thought so too, but I was uh, waiting well, for one, an expert to say. Well, well one, of course, you have the problem of of the uh, of of obviously hitting the driver. That's a great way to take the car out. We see that plenty of times in the show. But engine blocks, especially modern ones, are often made of aluminum, magnesium, these more brittle, softer materials that, yeah, a handgun isn't gonna do anything to it. But you know, if you if you're looking at these these Gatling guns, these mini guns, you know they have armor-piercing rounds. They are going to do a number on those engines and take them out very quickly. Not to mention, you know, you hit you hit the the engine computer, you hit um, the fuel lines. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff in there that will, while not nece- that will render the car inoperable, maybe repairable, but certainly not moving right now. I think that that's right, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with, I think you would need, I think shotguns are kind of out because the scatter shot, there's not really, I think that would be completely ineffective. I'm, you know, I'm a fan of missiles, mostly because I think that they're cool. Rocket launchers, you have to reload, so you couldn't really use those. But as far Mm -hmm. as destructive projectiles go, I think it's always a better idea to destroy your opponent from a distance rather than getting Mm -hmm. close. That's my initial my initial thought. I, I, I'm with you on that, Dan. If you can do that, that that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't so quickly discount the rocket. You know, in my mind, the you know an RPG is a great way. You know, rocket propelled grenade. Okay, something like now that. We're talking. That's a great weapon against a car, mm-hmm. but it's not something you can sh- really shoot while you're also driving. And I think an important thing that we problem we see I see with a lot of these vehicles these weapons are they're all mounted on the front of the car facing forward so that the driver also has to aim with the car i don't know about you but i don't want to point my car at my at the enemy and drive towards them while i'm shooting them that seems like a bad idea right uh i want i want the turret like we see in the mall battle with the guy on the back Mm -hmm. with his like 50 cal um anti-aircraft gun Mm -hmm. shooting around man who was he a bad shot right he should have taken chanto out real easy with that sure um but to me, you want a buddy 
You want a buddy in, in like a turret and something protected to do the shooting for you. So you have the flexibility to move separately from where you're aiming. Okay. Interesting. I didn't realize that was allowed in the rules. Uh, can I go back and redesign my car now, Dan? Definitely not. Uh, yeah, sure. You can't. I mean, any. There's no. It's, there's no rules, Dan. This is this is the I ultimate was place. There's no rules. I didn't think I was allowed another person in my car. Oh, I don't think no, that's garbage. No, 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 no. No, yeah, yeah, one person. No, no, no. But yeah, I think okay. well, then, uh, then, um, then an electric. You know, motorized there turret to fire. That's these fair. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you can only have one one driver. That is a rule. Other than that, you know, you yeah. Have, I thought you meant putting it on the sh- shooting it to the side instead of uh, <laughs> straight ahead. No, no, no. I just, I just wasn't sure. I got, I, can I bring my droid? <laughs> Uh, you know, see our episode on droid culture. If I might throw that <laughs> in, I don't think so. I don't think so. That might be that might be against the rules. I I, did, I thought this was lawless, but now you're bringing. Now I got to like really think about this a little bit. I mean, we might have to come yeah, up with some yeah. bylaws here. Um, but so, so you know, what about flamethrowers and napalm? You know, what we see we've seen a lot of BattleBot episodes, Ben, and I do yeah. love the flamethrowing droids, but <laughs> I don't know what they do now. Maybe in this situation, that overheating would render. A, you know, first of all, a driver uh, <laughs> burning to a crisp yeah. is one thing again, uh, but would it do anything to the engine? So, so flamethrowers are, and napalm especially, are a much better tool against a driver who's in the thing you're shooting at than, say, a battle bot that's remote controlled. Mm-hmm. Fair um, enough. It, you know, you, it's hard to drive straight when your, your uh, windshield is covered in flame. Yeah, uh, that's a great assessment. And and if the windshield's broken, you, then you're in real trouble. <laughs> or uh, not there, yeah. <laughs> or not there. So yeah. I, I actually think these are great, and napalm especially, because that's jellified um, gasoline. Now, where are you getting this gasoline? But uh, <laughs> yeah. But that sticks to what you shoot at, and now it's it's a bad fire. I think that's a really powerful weapon. But the other thing to realize is flamethrowers are not great against electric vehicles because they can usually take the heat for a while but a naturally aspirated gas internal combustion engine if all of a sudden you are now pulling flames and not oxygen not air into your engine you're gonna stall out real quick because your your fuel to air ratio well you don't have the air you have fuel to carbon dioxide and smoke yeah. <laughs> um your your engine's not going to work like that so so a flamethrower is a great weapon against an internal combustion engine. I like that. Now, what about the range of that, though, Ben? Just put, put up the pressure. Okay. <laughs> it's that simple, Denon. It's that simple. Okay. But, but that is a good Easy. point, and that's where the napalm has its advantage, because the napalm can go much further mm-hmm. than just uh, liquid gasoline or, like, say, a butane or propane uh, torch. Yeah, and I imagine you could probably, and I don't want to get you too excited here, Denon. I don't want to build your car for you, okay? <laughs> That's not what I want to do. But if I if I were you, I think a napalm foam might not be a bad idea. You know, I'm sure you got something, the foam. The, no, you know, the, the, the napalm foam could help in an attack because you're, you're spreading your napalm over a much greater surface area. But mm-hmm. foam really is a defensive um element there, Dan. Um, And I think I've mentioned this before on the show. There is a really, really cool, some YouTube videos of cars filled with foam and how hard they are to destroy compared to cars not filled with foam. Foam Mm -hmm. is is a great thermal insulator. It's a great energy absorber. It's a great shock absorber. I I know I'm revealing my hand a little bit, but Mm -hmm. driving around in shaving cream is not a bad idea. 
Oh, I <laughs> well, so let's talk about armor then. So then, yeah. so, so you think if you're going to protect your vehicle here, I'm guessing uh, since you have shown your hand, and it looks like you're holding a pair of pocket aces. Foam right. is how you would be protecting both the interior and the exterior, or is there how you how you work in this? It, it's a key, a key component to a lot of my car because it's lightweight. Thermal conductivity is very low. It helps me against these flame weapons that I just know the pyromaniacs. Oh, wait, that's me. Sorry. That's the you. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Are gonna build. Well, that's why you know it's, gonna, it's, it's coming. It's, it's right, what exactly. you would do. Exactly. Um, but I do feel for my personal safety, foam is a key element of my personal safety design. Um, because mm, that okay. really that really has the lightweightness of it, yet it's incredible material properties is something I'm going for. What about you, Ben? Do, I mean, when it comes to armor, are you more? Uh, what What are our options here? You know, what, we can go from metamaterials to iron. Like, what What are we What are we looking at here? Pros and cons. I mean, the the trick with armor always is, of course, it's it's very heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at say like the presidential limousine. Well, it's not a limousine anymore. Now it's like a friggin' suburb. <laughs> you know, Chevy Suburban or whatever. But mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, or so, uh, some American-made SUV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at, like, the doors on that thing, they're, like, a foot thick, <laughs> right? And it's all armor, and the glass is very thick. And you could think about doing something like that, but when you do something like that, it's very heavy. And now we're back to our problem of how do you how do you survive in the apocalypse when your gas tank only takes you, like, 50 miles? Right. right. Uh, <laughs> That's an interesting thought. So I, I think what's important to... to think about armor is armor is going to be very important because there's there's two very critical squishy bits of things in your car there's Mm -hmm. you the Mm -hmm. driver Mm -hmm. you want you probably want to sit in an armored box maybe with some foam to help (laughs) insulate you against those (laughs) flamethrower weapons as well Uh and you also are going to want to put armor around your engine so that when that big heavy you know armor piercing round um, comes at your engine, you have armor thick enough to actually stop it, and so that it doesn't blow a hole through your engine block. That's interesting. You know, I, I love this presidential uh, convoy kind of idea because I was lucky enough being in L.A. I got to see one of our presidents, uh, drive, uh, 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 Obama, drove through, and I was able mm-hmm. to see him. You know, see the whole convoy, and there's these things are huge. They look yeah. like normal SUVs for the naked eye. And so I don't think I realized all, and I'm guessing it's not publicly available, what their capabilities actually are, nor should it be. But I did not know that they had thick, thicker walls and, you know, obviously it's bulletproof. But uh, I'd love to see, you know, what that looks like. Just, you know, how do we protect the president? You know, that's that's the epitome of our should be the uh, the epitome of our protective technology. And you you also have to redo all the uh, the suspension because the car's so much heavier now. You know, oh, if interesting! You, if you left a regular suspension on, it would just hit the bo- It would just bottom out immediately. Yeah. Um, and if you want to see some of this stuff, you obviously aren't going to get the designs for the current presidential motorcade. Right. But at the car museum in L.A., they have some old oh, that right? presidential vehicles that you can get some looks at. Really? If you take the vault tour. <laughs> and, oh, and that's Dan. interesting. Yeah. As an additional public service announcement, if you're really interested in the whole idea of defense, shields, and armor, um, Mm -hmm. you could always watch this really cool YouTube series, The Physics of X, where X is everything except politics. Tell me more. Where one of my episodes, I believe it's episode four, I discuss how um, a wizard, Harry Dresden, makes magic shields that stop bullets. But I actually talk Mm -hmm. about other shieldings, defenses, armored cars. So easy to find on my YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com slash michael denon so um 
I'm I'm like six uh, ads behind you, Dan, but that's at least one of them. <laughs> that's pretty good. So you might be our armor expert here, which which is when when I, I get a little worried. So before we're gonna we'll do our reveal, I just want to quickly okay. talk about melee weapons because mm-hmm. I think these are interesting. You know, I don't know if in a car you're gonna want to get this close, but if you do, I think having a melee weapon, even as a backup may save you should your cars get entangled. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. buzz saws are very nice and handy, you know, from uh, from there's a lot of a comedy race movies where you have a bunch of kids <laughs> running around uh, uh, or even mm-hmm. Mario Kart, you know, having oil to come out or something like that uh, mm-hmm. might be a little silly, but you got to have something up close, Ben, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, there's two things I think are practical, and I think you left out one of the most important ones, Dan, mm-hmm. the plow. Okay, Mr. Plow, uh, that's you know, his nothing, name. Yeah. Nothing better than just being able to have a nice pointy angled surface on the front of your car so that when you do end up head on with somebody, they'll hit that plow and go off to the side. Interesting. Um, okay. So I think I would want that, and I think I would want the cool chariot spikes on my <laughs> wheels. Yes. Where So if somebody comes up to your side, you can shred their wheels before they get close enough to you. I think those two are probably the most useful melee weapons. The, the buzzsaw to me seems risky mm-hmm. because if people have armored up their vehicles, I feel like it's just going to get stuck and you're going to and maybe do some backlash and maybe hurt you mm-hmm. in the process. I think you really want to go for simple weapons that focus on pushing the vehicle away and back out of that melee range. Interesting. So passive weapons. Those aren't active. Yeah. Passive weapons. Okay. And I also, I really like Ben's idea of the, the um, blades on the wheel. Because okay. unlike the buzzsaw, you don't need additional energy for them. Right. Like the yeah. buzzsaw, I'm a little worried about. You have to power it somehow, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and I don't want a lot of power going to something like that that I might not use. And mm-hmm. to Ben's point, it might get stuck. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. to turn my wheels. So <laughs> why not stick yeah. something on it that can cut up somebody else's wheel? Why, and it why also not? has the advantage of keeping uh, hitchhikers from getting too close to the car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the extra, you know, that's a bonus, bonus feature for sure. Uh, so all right, we've come to we've come to the moment of truth here, gentlemen. Um, we are going to be in a demolition derby. I failed to tell you that earlier, but you uh, prepare to die. Uh, so how are you guys making your car to survive one of these demolition derbies where you have to be the last car standing? Uh, does anyone want to go first? Oh, I, I'm, I'm raring to go Dennis, first, Dan. Let's do it. So you're all very nervous because you noticed I haven't actually advertised any merch today. The key to winning the Demolition Derby is I'm going to have FGGPT merch, and I'm going to be throwing it around. Wow. All my opponents are going to stop and get out of their cars and be standing targets, because they will not be able to resist this mug, Dan. That is my core plan. Wow. I I do have some backup plans. Yeah. You know. As much as I love our merch, you may want to come up with something else. But I do feel like there'd be like seeing a $20 bill on the ground. You have to grab it. Exactly. You'd have to stop and get out. Yeah. Well, the important thing also is for you to not have to stop to get out. So you have your water bottle Mm -hmm. in your armored cell with you. Yes. So that you can stay hydrated, which is so important in these uh, situations. You know, eventually with all that insulation, it's going to get warm. Uh, and you need to you need to stay hydrated. 
so you can keep going. Absolutely, and it, it doubles as a melee weapon as well. Uh, <laughs> yes. More active than passive, but doesn't require an external energy source. Uh, now, I would personally, uh, if I'm going to be, you know, have mugs thrown at me, I'm going to want a nice shirt to go with it, uh, which you can find on the website. These are not flame retardant, so um, you, they're not going to keep you safe, but they will keep you stylish, and they may keep you cool. Ben, uh, ben right. you mentioned it's going to get hot there. So fgbt.com forward slash merch. Get them while they're hot. Uh, and, you know, not too hot, though, because we are talking right. about napalm. So back to it, Denon. Uh, <laughs> okay. So what in, are we in some more serious, when, when the mugs fail, the backup okay. guy. Backup. Plan B. So just, I want to keep kind of a few things simple. I want to target, I've already mentioned my foam defense, so I'm not really going to go into that too much. But particularly mm -hmm. for my personal defense, because I know you guys are coming at me with fire. Mm -hmm. I will have a few mounted guns, but they're really for distraction, right? And sort of mm. the, the chance lucky shot through a window, maybe I take somebody out, maybe not. Um, Thanks for the heads weight up. distribution and defense of my car. I want to make sure that all the parts that aren't in front of anything like dangerous are mm -hmm. actually flimsy and just there for distraction. Like I don't care if bullets are going through the back seat. I want to save weight there. Mm -hmm. So I'm really going to focus on the squishy parts, the engine. Mm -hmm. And for me, tire defense is key. I don't want to lose mm -hmm. a tire through a lucky shot from one of you. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. um, that That's just really important. My main sort of thing, you know me, is avoid, hide, and not and wait it out till it's just a few people. <laughs> so I'm going to definitely design my car for maneuverability. That's going to be absolutely key. Mm -hmm. But I love the idea of magnetic mine weapons, um, sort of like torpedoes in submarine war. So I was thinking about this. Um, most of you will have some sort of magnetic metal in your car somewhere, I'm sure, because you're going to use with some metal, and you okay, don't know I'm doing this. You'll eventually <laughs> learn, and I'll have to come up with a different method. Yeah. Um, but these are, these are lightweight, high you know, explosive mines that'll come and attack the bottom of your cars. Like they'll shoot out ground level, high speed. Ah. When they get under mm. a car, they'll stick to something metal and explode. Okay. I feel the bottom of your car is where I want most of my attacks. Likely to take out a tire. Hmm. I'm likely to take out all those tubings and wires Ben was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm really lucky, I might even take out you. So my number one weapon, and I can carry a lot of mines in my car, and I can, to Ben's point, have them shoot out in various directions. I can have my launchers in a few different directions or have it on like a little turning wheel. Okay. Um, so that that's the key elements of my car, Dan. Okay. Hmm. I like it. So if someone would have a plastic car, let's say, or a lot yeah, of fiberglass, <laughs> there is no plan well, B. So if the mugs well, don't work. Well, my plan B is my guns. <laughs> Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So you do have right. something. Okay, I got it. I do it. have okay. some generic guns. And also, I would still shoot out the mines and just hope they drive over it. Because I'm maneuverable yeah. and I know where the mines are. Okay, okay. Um, I should point out my back, my backup backup, just because I love them, is the idea of caltrops, because I've always wanted to work that word into a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just <laughs> throw them out the back of the car and hope they take out people's tires. Yeah, you and I are on the yeah. same page with that one. So yeah. <laughs> so well, a lot of caltrops in this one. It's a cool word. And it does some cool things, <laughs> especially yeah. if you're in a demolition derby. Uh, yep. All right, Ben, you want to go? You want to go next? Yeah. All right. So what do you got? So on the wheel side, you know, it's not as it's not as fuel efficient, but I would definitely be going with some sort of either run flat or solid rubber tire. Okay. You know, it's not as great for the ride. Um, you know, maybe beef up the suspension for that, but that way, you know, a flat tire is is your worst nightmare. Um, and very easy to achieve in this situation. So you want you need run flats. Um, okay. But then for me, 
to me, it is very important uh, along the, the maneuverability that Dr. Denon is referencing. While you're maneuvering, it is so important that your weapon can still be trained on your opponent. Mm -hmm. So that's why I want the turret or maybe just guns at every 15 degrees <laughs> all around the, you know, all around the car. Um, I, I think the armor piercing bullet is probably a good enough weapon. It's very difficult to okay. build something clear that the driver can see through mm -hmm. um, that also can stop, say, like a 50 caliber mm -hmm. uh, rifle bullet. Um, and even if they do, it's going to be pretty dangerous. So I think the mounted weapons that can aim maybe throw a flamethrower on there too for the distraction and the power. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to go. And you're, and it's a much better from an ammo perspective than say a missile or an RPG that you have to reload. Those are those while they pack a big punch, mm -hmm. they're hard to uh, reload versus the, uh, say a belt fed gun. This is so interesting. I have to say, I love that idea. You guys have some pretty good designs here. Um, and I can't believe that I already believe that I've won and that you guys are dead. And I love you guys so much that I'm sorry that I'm going to have to destroy you uh, because none of you mentioned you're all talking about internal combustion engines. Why not an electric car? Uh, I'm going to be driving an electric sports car for high acceleration, high performance, great handling. And I've got a front and a back to put weapons in. You know, I've got, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a front con a front pit where I can put stuff in. I'm going to have a uh, NASCAR style. It's going to be a roll cage and that's it on the inside with me. Uh, and the front, I'm going to have a rail, an electric rail gun so that there's not going to be any explosion. So that's not going to get in my, you know, in my view. So that's not going to screw right. anything up. Uh, my um, I'm going to have a, a very low angled front end. So not the plow you're talking about, Ben, but more like mm -hmm. just a very low to the ground. And I know that can be a hindrance, but it'll stop those minds that I didn't know were coming as low to the ground <laughs> as possible. In case someone does come up with a high suspension, I can flip them over. I learned that from all my BattleBot stuff. Got that from you, Ben. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to have, oh, it's, the hood's going to be pneumatic as well, just in case I need to, to flip them up, you know, uh, if possible. Sure. Uh, I'm going to have uh, a napalm shooter on top of the car, if I can fit that okay. in there. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to have a small uh, uh, a Tesla coil for electricity. So I'm going to arc electricity out at people. That's going to be my melee weapon, mostly because I think it's going to be cool. I don't know how it's going to be, but with electric, if your car is made out of metal, you're going to be electrocuted. That's the goal. Uh, and to power all of this. I'm going to have a nuclear, a small nuclear engine in the back, uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of like the DeLorean from uh, Back to the right. Future. So, you know, right. Dan, so, <laughs> I, I, I hate to say this, um, two, two, yeah. a couple of things. I love your car. I love Thank the direction you, you went. Mm -hmm. um, sadly, when you attempted to launch your Tesla weapon, the EMP just shut your car down. What and EMP? You, lost. <laughs> you don't have an EMP. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you're going to have to generate a large electrical pulse in your Texel coil to try and shock me. Uh -huh. um, you forgot the fundamental thing that uh, a metal box is totally electric fields can't get inside it. So the safest place under a lightning attack <laughs> is a metal box. Physics is killing you here, Dan. The oh, design man. was awesome. But, you know, and, you know, one of my minds is not a secret EMP device itself. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm using the 
freeze your car and then let Ben shoot you up with his, how many, Ben, it was about 60 guns around your car at in least. 15 degrees. <laughs> or maybe just a bunch of, or maybe just a bunch of guns on a movable turret, you know? Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll see if, uh, we'll see what the rules are. Yeah, but I do, I actually, Dan, I love going all electric. I, I respect, yeah. lots of respect there. I, I appreciate the electric because it is, it is in some ways a lot safer. Mm. But I also like the idea of going diesel which doesn't have electrical um, components at all mm -hmm. in the in the engine itself, so that you could then potentially use that EMP aggressively and not harm your own vehicle. <laughs> I like that. I might need to just have some advisors. Um, I right, still yeah. I, I still like my design. I, oh, I'm still the basic going with design. It. I think has all the right features. You're in the right direction, Dan. You just needed a little physics advice. Yeah, and I think that's all right. You know, and, yeah. and I think we could yeah. all use a little bit of advice. First of all, I'd like Good. to know who people out there listening and watching would think would win. So please let <laughs> us know on our various social media platforms or give us advice. You know, uh, I think that that's easy to do. Let me tell you how to do it. You can go on tw uh, X, formerly Twitter. You can find the show at FGGBTPod. We are on Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you so that they can give you all the advice you need to make your car even better than it already is? Yeah, well, to give me my advice, you'd probably find me on social media, X, Twitter, whatever that is, mm -hmm. um, Instagram, all the major ones, Denon Michael, just flip my name, easy to do. You can find me on my website, denonmichael.com. If you want to learn the cool physics behind designing your car, you can check out the Physics of X episodes on YouTube, as I mentioned. Um, if you want to find me on Facebook, you do have to stick a prof in there. It's Prof Denon Michael. And don't just stick it anywhere. It's got to be at the front. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Ben? Where can people find you? People can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on X, formerly Twitter, at Daniel J. Glenn. That's right. Uh, on Facebook, at Analytical Mastermind. On Instagram and threads, at the Daniel J. Glenn. I have a website, DanielJGlenn.com. And if you're just listening to the show, you can watch it on YouTube.com forward slash Daniel J. Glenn. The, the show is FGGBT.com. And if you want to send us a question or maybe even a comment on how we have too much of a social media presence, that is questions at FGGBT.com. And if you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, before you switch over to YouTube, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode and you help us out with the algorithm. Very important, Ben. Very important that the algorithm learns as much as possible about our listeners and what they are doing and what their viewing habits are, because that will lead us to the apocalypse once AI takes over. But that's for another episode, because you have to be careful, uh, both with your YouTube watching, the algorithm, and with the technology we've given you in this episode, because it can be used if you are trying to take over the world. If you have that criminal mind, let's hope you don't, because that would make you a super villain. And we always want you to be a superhero. So until next time... Thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? 
We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.